Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Chris Graham. It's Tuesday. We're going to talk a lot of Beltway baseball. We've got Scott German here with us on the podcast. And and Scott, uh, well, I mean, let's talk first before we start talking about the meat of our uh, podcast today. You had a fun baseball trip this past weekend um, that didn't involve Beltway baseball, but you got to see uh, historic Fenway Park for a couple of games. Yeah, I did. And uh, well, it, hey, before that, it, it started off with a trip to Richmond to see the Flying Squirrels play and then a trip to uh, Norfolk to see the Tides play, which is the Orioles top triple A club, but really not where all their prospects are this year. Um, and then and then up to Fenway to see um, to see the Red Sox and what a weekend that was to see um, uh, Venable Fenway Park in all its uh, glory. Which, if anyone's been there, it is a, it is a historic ballpark. But Chris, at the same time, it's an absolute dump. <laughs> well, because it was built in the 1910s. Yeah, and and you can only put 648 coats of paint on a cinder block wall <laughs> you know the only thing i'm disappointed in scott is that i didn't i did not get any pictures by text from you you sat on the you sat on the green monster for the second game and i didn't get i mean what's that like sitting on the monster um okay seats um you're you know you're not you're you're a little high up it would be like sitting in the upper deck of a of a state like of camden yards out in the out in the outfield um Good seats, but if you're claustrophobic, not good seats. Well, I'm, I'm scared. As you know, I'm scared of height, so not good for me? No, because well, there's there's about – you're literally in an area about maybe 25 feet wide. Okay. And just a few rows of seats. And, and then um, it, it's – it's I, I don't know if claustrophobic would be the – I guess it would because you're packed in like sardines. Packed in like sardines in a high space. In a high space. Do you and, kind of feel um, like you're hanging over the wall at all? You do. You feel like you're hanging over. You you are literally um, uh, looking over the left fielder's shoulder. So compare it to the upper deck at JPJ because that's pretty scary for me too. I don't like the upper deck at That's JPJ. what it would be, that, that okay. height. Okay. If you were in the lower levels of the upper deck. Okay. Okay. To okay. the floor. Cause I always feel like when I'm, at, I've only sat up there maybe twice. Uh, but when I, f- I feel like when I'm sitting in the upper deck at JPJ, that if I'm, if I move at all, I'm going to fall to my death. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good, analogy. that's a kind of a good way to describe it. Cause I've been to Fenway park um, before the monster seats were installed. But if you were in JPJ, it would be like sitting behind a basket Um in the in one in in one at one end of the floor, say like the media end of the floor, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And sitting in the first two rows of the upper deck, yeah. Being a and the basket would be about where the right fielder would be standing, okay. and, and that would be the height. Um, he was, you know, easily able to to throw balls. Uh, after warming up, you know, in between innings, uh-huh. the right fielder, of course, know, they are major leaguers, but he could single out people and throw a dart to them yeah, um, yeah. without without any de- degree of difficulty. But now I will say this, the one thing that Red Sox fans are notoriously famous for, and I didn't really realize this until I was told by some fans that went with us and, and 
uh, unless it's the Yankees uh-huh. and it's a blowout, the Red Sox fans are gone. So it's kind of like Virginia Tech fans when when uh, Duke or Virginia or Carolina are not there in basketball, and I guess Tech fans when Virginia's not there in football. Yeah, and 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 this was this you know the uh, Cardinals. The Cardinals are you know a, a pretty nationally they have a good following. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they had a decent, and of course when you go get a chance to see a, a, a park like Fenway Park, they're gonna fall, they're gonna come. But I think now the novelty of interleague play is over with. So diehard Cardinal fans have have made the trip to Boston a couple sure. of times. Sure. Uh, so that's taken away a little bit of the luster from that. So there weren't that many. Red Sox fans, but um, but I've been told that when the Yankees are in town, uh, the Yankees somehow, especially when the Yankees are good, which unfortunately we have to admit they are good this year, first team to fifty wins, um, they they occupy one half of Fenway Park. Ooh, gosh, um, and it's but, a thirty three thousand seat facility. And, you know, but I know this, uh, Red Sox fans occupied about two-thirds of Nats Park last year during that final series of the season when, of course, the Nats were way out of the playoffs and the Red Sox were trying to sneak their way in. They did by sweeping the Nats. Um, We were there on Sunday. The final game of the regular season was also, as it turns out, Ryan Zimmerman's last game. We kind of knew that going in. A lot of us did. And uh, still, it was about two-thirds of Red Sox fans. And so I don't. I guess I won't feel sorry for Red Sox fans. Their park gets taken over by Yankees fans because the Red Sox fans who visited Nats Park were not very polite when they were there. <laughs> so and, um, and here and you know I, I I witnessed this because I I intentionally kind of walked around. I had tickets, good yeah. seats by the way, even for both games. Um, but I walked around and because the games were sold out, most Red Sox home games are sold out. Right. Again, the venue seats slightly over 33,000. Yeah, yeah. So that's one, that's two thirds of Camden Yards. Um, the scalpers outside um, for a sold out game were not, they, they weren't ridiculously high prices. They were for good infield seats, $60. Okay. Um, monster seats, different. No one had them, but the ones that, that, we were told did have when we had them in advance you you can pay five hundred dollars to see the milwaukee brewers because you can just imagine what it would be like for a game against the yankees oh that's true hey when um, you were sitting up in the monster seats i'm wondering any any home run balls come your way or anything close no no home run run balls and it was a it was a six five ball game but the coolest sound in baseball bar none is the the sound of the ball hitting the green monster. Okay. Okay. Because the green monster, a lot of it is scoreboard. Okay. <clears throat> Metal. <clears throat> Metal. Yeah. And it's got a, and I hope I don't lose this sound because I go to sleep hearing it. It's got a unique clang uh-huh. when the ball hits. And so talking to people that go to the games regularly, playing left field for 81 games is a, is a skill at yeah. Fenway park. Yeah. And, and a lot of, a lot of players that come in there and that don't play a lot of visiting teams, they don't realize how to play the angles. Yeah. They don't realize that a ball that's hit high up off the wall is going to ricochet way back into the field, a ball that's hit lower down on the wall is going to hit the metal and literally die. 
and I had the opportunity to see both. One that hit the wall and ricocheted back, bounced back, I'd say 20 feet inside the warning track. Okay. And then another ball hit the scoreboard part, the metal part, and literally just drop to the war to the to the warning track. Uh, and then the le- and then the, there's a little angle, a cutout down in left field that really makes things interesting. It is yeah. a very unique ballpark. Now, having been to Camden Yards since they reconfigured left field, Camden Yards has a you need to, next time you go. It's a unique. It's a very different feeling now with the left field wall at Camden Yards. Um, it's knocked down a lot of home runs. Um, but from what I've been told, the left, the, the green monster giveth and the green monster taketh away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, but it is a fun, and I've been to Wrigley Field. You've been to Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. I, I would say if someone, had, if I were pressed, I'd say Fenway Park's got it beat a little really? bit. Really? I've not been to Wrigley. Well, I, I was going to, I was getting ready to say, I have not been to Wrigley since they put lights in, but they actually had. I just went to day games, but, uh, um, I, I, when I was at Wrigley, well, they're not good now. When I, when I was there, they were bad. They, they had that little couple year run in the mid 2010s. They're back to being the Cubs now. So, um, whereas the Red Sox have been pretty consistently good the last what, 20 years or so. You know, they just play in the wrong division. Or um, maybe the right division, you know, I mean, yeah, I, but- I think sometimes iron sharpens iron. I mean, if you, uh, if they're in the central, which, you know, geographically they wouldn't be, but would they spend all the money they, they, they do now if they were, you know, in the central where, where <laughs> it, it doesn't take much to win that division. Yeah. And with the expanded playoffs, there's a possibility three teams from one division can get in three, three wild cards. In addition to the division winner. Yeah. You could have yeah. four of the five get in the, from that AL East and very well likely could happen. This you year. could do that could happen this year because the Red Sox are surging and um, Toronto and the Yankees and even, and even Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, I think it, at this stage, I would be surprised. In a way, I'd be surprised if they didn't have uh, all all the all those teams uh, are very competitive. Let me. I'm pulling up the the uh, the, the uh, standings right now, and in fact, uh, Tampa would be fourth, half game out of the playoff. Cleveland's the only one messing it up right now. Cleveland it would be second right now. I mean, we're way, way, way far away from that. But, but yeah, I mean. And then you go back a few games. Chicago is fifth, and they're under five hundred in the in the wild card race. That is so. Yeah, I yeah. have a feeling you're going to have a. It's not going to be long. It could be this year that a playoff team's under five hundred. I don't know about this year. Uh, the Rays are thirty six and thirty one, and they are they are outside looking in right now, as far as the AL goes. And then NL, the uh, Giants are the third wild card at thirty seven and twenty nine. That's a five sixty winning percentage. That probably translates to about at least ninety victories. And the Cardinals are 38 and 31, and they're on the outside looking in. And in fact, also the Phillies are 36 and 32, two games out. So I think you'll, I think those teams will still end up with 85, 88 wins, maybe 90 wins. Um, but yeah, to your point about the AL East, that set shows why, why it's so tough for, and this is a great segue to talking about the Baltimore Orioles, who've been rebuilding for several years now. And, and you caught up with the O's and wrote a column. We posted it last night. And kind of want to quiz you about some of this because this has been this has been a few days in the making at least. But you know, yes, the Orioles compete in the AL East, or as you called it in one part of your column, the AL Beast. Um, and they're thirty and thirty-eight right now. But these O, oh, this this that represents improvement. This O's team is playing pretty good baseball right now. Um, and so, Scott, where do you assess the rebuild 
uh, given what you're seeing from the team so far this year? I, I think from what I can tell, and I'm starting to watch their games now far more frequently and far more lengthy into the games, um, they've, got, they've got representative major league talent almost at every position. Um, and with the farm system that they built up, thanks to tanking or not tanking, they just were awful. They, they had a lot of high, high first, high round, high first round pricks. Um, they have the number one pick this year. Um, they really are. Uh, I wouldn't say they're through their rebuild because they're not, they still aren't, aren't there as, as the general manager, Michael uh, Elias said, we're, we're a million miles away from being able to win this division. Um, but they're competitive. They're no longer an, an easy W. Um, the only thing I think is going to really hamper them a little bit is the progression of the pitching because some of their pitching prospects are uh, their top pitching uh, pitching prospect. Rodriguez uh, is on the shelf until maybe the end of August with, I believe, an oblique strain. And they're not going to rush him. They, there was some thought that he would be in the, at the big club now, at the, at the major league level now, but he's on the injury reserve. So he's um, – there was hope that he would help this year. And now there's talk that they may not even bring him up in September. Uh, they may just keep him throwing some minor league innings at, for a couple of weeks and then shut him down. Um but they have they have good players, and some of their pickups, some of their acquisitions have really turned out to be. I, I thought they were just these little these little you know footnotes in the paper. If you look at the transactions, uh, picking up Jorge Mateo from San Diego, the kid is just unfreaking believable, and it sounds like all he needed was a chance. He wasn't getting regular playing time in San Diego, and the Orioles picked him up for a couple of draft picks and uh he's one he's among the defensive leaders at short in the american league um and then they've got some really young outfielders that are playing well mount uh, ryan mountcastle is probably going to maybe get some consideration for all-star team um and then of course the uh adley rutschman who who is was the number one pick the can't miss prospect he's struggling at the plate I think I looked at his last batting average. The last time I looked was somewhere around 200. Um, so he's definitely having to adjust to major league pitching. But from what I've read, the pitchers love him. He's like having a pitching coach on the field, a mentor far uh, wiser than his age. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm encouraged. I, I are we going to compete for a division title next year? I doubt it, but I think what they're doing is they're setting themselves up to be a, a formidable team for, you know, quite some time. The, uh, the, I'm amazed when I look at the stats, I'm amazed this team is actually just eight games under 500. And we, we were just talking about the wild card race. I mean, you know, impressive uh, last couple of weeks, they, they, you know, fared well against Tampa Bay, for example, as you know, in your column, they're, they're playing well with a pitching staff that, aside from Tyler Wells, the starting staff, I should say, the relievers are, are pretty solid, but the, the starting staff is awful. Um, you got a six yeah. ERA out of Spencer Watkins, of, you know, 510 out of Jordan Lyles, 594 out of Bruce Zimmerman, 738 out of, out of Kyle Bradish. And yet this team is still able, because the bullpen 
because of the depth in the bullpen, they're still able to you know keep this team competitive and win some games. So I, I'm impressed that, that that says a lot about the quality of the bullpen. I think they built a great bullpen. Zimmerman is back in the mind. They sent they demoted to Zimmerman. He's pitching. He's back to Norfolk now um, to rediscover something or another. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just being able to get major league hitters out. That's, yeah, that's what he needs to rediscover. Um, but it is. They've assembled a – and here's the thing. Just like we'll talk about later, the Nats, the Orioles got some very good pitchers in the bullpen that won't be Orioles come August 1st. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, they may have the best closer in the game right now in Jorge um, Lopez. He's just lights out. And he's pitching himself out of Baltimore, and that's okay because if the Orioles can flip him to a team that needs a content that needs a closer, and you know how they're very valuable in August, yeah, um, then they're going to get a good return from him. And they have they've used this they've taken this mentality. I didn't like it. I don't like it. But if it's winning games, I guess I'll have to adapt. They use. Seven pitchers Saturday <laughs> in a game against Tampa, in which they won two to one. Uh-huh. Can you imagine that? Just saying that out loud, <laughs> even ten years ago. Well, you know, not even in a in a playoff game. I mean, it goes fifteen innings. But you know, when I start looking at this Lopez, when I look at because a point seven nine ERA, a one point nine WAR. Um, who is this now? Uh, uh, CNL Perez. Am I pronouncing that first? Yeah, name? yeah, yes. 1.31 ERA, 1.4 WAR, uh, wins above replacement. I'm, people who are listening to baseball geek stuff already know that. Um, then you look at Dylan Tate, uh, 1.95 ERA, 1.1 WAR. That's 4.4 wins above replacement right there in those three guys. Um, are are those guys are, are those guys flipped, or is it just is it just Lopez and then and then Tate and uh, Perez? Are they are they sticking around? What do you think? I think if they can. Uh, fetch the right return, they're all flipped. Okay. Okay. I really do because um, there's no guarantee that they could do, they could dup- re- duplicate that again. Well, that's right? true. Relief I pitchers mean, are, are very, very, a very finite product. <laughs> yeah. So if you can turn them and get some quality everyday players out of that, I think that's what you do. And obviously, the Orioles have done a great job of scouting and trading and, and and the hopes is i guess you can bring in some more some more guys next year to fill those roles what about trey mancini i think it's probably pretty i mean he's a guy he's a such an inspirational story obviously coming back from cancer uh looked like he you know didn't have a chance to be around us anymore and he's he's, he's all-star he's putting up decent numbers this year from a war perspective 1.6 uh, war a 283 average 364 on base six homers and he's also an older guy, so I'm, I'm sure he's gone. What about and, and maybe Cedric Mullins? What about Cedric Mullins? He's he's been a surprise. He leads a team in WAR with a one, or at least leads the everyday players in WAR with a one point eight. You know, the, the fans Baltimore loves Mancini. What a what a great story. I mean, he's a cancer survivor, and um, pretty advanced stage of um, of cancer. Um, you're right. There was concern that he would. He wasn't – I mean, he could have been gone from yes. us. Yeah. And, and he's yeah. returned to playing at a pretty high caliber in the major leagues. That's an amazing turnaround. Um, and he's he's beloved in Baltimore. But I believe Oriole fans 
as much as they would hate to see him traded, Trey Mancini's not going to be a vital part of an Oriole team that contends for a World Series. Yeah, yeah. Because that's three to four years down the road. Right. And at that time, Trey is going to be 35 years old, maybe 34, 35. Um, and I think I think the Orioles probably could justify trading him as as actually helping him. Because if he is traded, he's going to be traded to a contender that he can actually get on uh, on a team that he could be in a in a bona fide situation to win a World Series, and that's that's what most every player in the major leagues that's their goal. Yeah, and that's not a that's not a realistic goal for a thirty one year old player in Baltimore right now. No, you're exactly right. So you wrote uh, a lot about Jorge Manteo. Um, a guy that uh, came in a trade. Uh, this is how the you know, that's how you that's how you work. You you build up through uh, the draft, and then you flip veterans for for young guys. Came in a trade with San Diego uh, after 2021, and uh, he's pretty special. Uh, talk about Monteo. Not a great bat, yeah. But but playing in Camden Yards, uh, you anticipate the team to hit well. Most of the players to hit well, so you can afford a. You can afford a, a player that has a little weaker batting average, and Mateo certainly qualifies for that. I don't think he's hit more than 220 in any one career, any one season in his career. But, my goodness, he has – you need to look at him on some YouTube highlights. He is absolutely defensively at the top of his game. He he can cover more ground than they – the, the saying that the, the writings in Baltimore was the, I think I put this in my story. Water covers 75% of the earth. Jorge Mateo covers the rest. And he is incredibly gifted defensively. It makes you wonder. And I guess, I guess that's a, probably another topic. That'll probably be a topic I have for, I, I tend to now, uh, um, find my way down and at the uh, squirrels games to the scouts. Cause if you know, if you know where they sit, you can find them and they love talking baseball. You're not, my wife was, went with me the night that we, I got to meet uh, Quincy Boyd. And uh, she was like, don't bother him. He's and he could not be, I mean, what got him a beer. I mean, they love that. That's their, that's in their DNA, right? You don't sit out in the hot sun in Richmond, Virginia on a Friday night, every night or every night of the week, unless you love the game. And uh, um, it might be a conversation for, for a scout, but how does a team like San Diego get rid of someone as defensively gifted as Mateo is? And I guess it's just maybe sometimes you have a bottle, you have a log jam at, at certain positions. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at his uh, minor league stats. He hit up until double A. He was a, a consistent 280 to 300 hitter up until double A, and uh, he's, he's not done that since. Uh, he had a blip. Actually, no, in triple A in 2019 with Las Vegas, he hit 290. Um, but he, he had a couple of you know, struggling years there um, uh, in between because he, he signed as a 17 year old with the Yankees. So he's, he's been a, he's been a pro for a long time, even though he's only 26 years old. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, you got, you, if you got a great glove, Hey, in their case, they got, they got something for what they think is nothing. Actually, you look at his, his war though, 1.3 wins above replacement for a guy hitting 202. That says how good his glove is because 202, you're basically doing nothing offensively, if not being a, even a negative influence offensively. 
but that just shows how good the glove is. And, you know, I, I think that that shows value. Um, you, you know, that's old time baseball value. That's like having Dave Concepcion or Mark Belanger at shortstop. You know, you let, let the other guys hit and let that guy take everything up the middle and, and turn it into an out. Yeah. One, I'll tell you how good evidently Jorge Mateo is. I was watching, I was at home, uh, not last week because I wasn't at home much at all last week, the week before last late in the game, really wasn't paying attention. I think I was more snoozing than anything and was listening, watching the Orioles game. And um, Mateo made a great play on a, on a ball that was literally um, shot. I mean, just like a rocket off the bat. And he ranged deep into the outfield, made it spun and threw a strike to first base. And the color, uh, color analyst that night was Jim Palmer. And I, I just was half paying attention to it. And Palmer said, that's the best defensive play at shortstop I have ever seen an Oriole make. Well, Jim Palmer played with Mark Belanger, who was considered one of the best defensive players ever at shortstop. He played with Cal Ripken. Yep. Um, so to make that statement that that was probably the best defensive play he'd ever seen a shortstop make in Baltimore, that, that, that spoke volumes to, yeah, uh, because indeed. Palmer's been in Baltimore for 55 years. <laughs> That's not empty praise is what you're saying there. <laughs> and and I, I ended up watching it again because they only showed it one time on Masson. And I think I, I must have missed half of it. So I stayed up intentionally <laughs> until it popped up on YouTube. Okay. To watch that play again. And I would have to agree. I don't, I have no idea how, evidently their reflexes just the sound of the ball off the bat they they initially know where to go yeah just reflexive i mean brooks robinson they said wasn't he wasn't fast at all but he had this this ability to pick up the sound of the ball and know what direction to to initially go to yeah yeah so yeah i'm excited um um couple of interesting games tonight, tomorrow night coming up with the Nationals. I mean, this could oh, yeah. be – but, you know, it's it, the, the beauty of baseball, Nats not playing very well at all. Orioles are playing extremely well. Nats could win – Cohen the Camden Yards and win two in a row. Well, Just, the 2019 Nats World Series year, there was a key series that involved the O's in either August or September. I think it was early September. And the host took, I, th- I want to say they took both. It ended up being just a two game series because I think it was a rain issue and the O's took both games. And that was Dan, that was damaging to the Nats at that time. They were in a wild card race. And um, so, yeah, baseball's a funny sport in that respect. The O's are 16 and 13 in the past month, including a 10 and eight record against the AL East, as you pointed out, Scott, in your column. And so that 30 and 38 record could be deceptive. You know, they, they may be, you know, they're on pace for, as you pointed out, 70 to 72 wins. I did the math. It was 71 and a half. But if they keep playing this slightly above 500 baseball, well, I don't want to say. I, you know, they, they, they could work. The, we, we were chatting before, Scott, before we, we clicked uh, record about the, the fact there's three wildcard teams uh, and your, your supposition that there may be uh, either this year or sometime soon in this, this new three wildcard era that there might be a, a 500 or slightly below 500 team to make the playoffs. The O's could play themselves into slightly below 500. I don't think they'll be – you know, sniffing playoffs, but they, they're going to be between five and 10 games out of the playoffs this year. And if you're an O's fan, like you are, and like lots of our listeners, I'm sure are um, the idea that this team 
with really no starting pitching, uh, still a lot of young guys kind of feeling their way around being big leaguers can be within five or 10 games of a wild card spot. Wait till they get older. Wait till they get better. Uh, this, this team could be a year or two away from being a real contender for, for at least a wild card spot. And once you're in the wild card, as, as Nats fans know, once you're in the wild card, you're in the tournament and you can win the world series. Yeah. Get it. You, the, the goal in a long 162 game season is to make the playoffs. That's right. Um, but my, my goal, my, I would be happy as an Orioles fans to get to September. It's okay. I don't, I don't really care if they're, I, I, they've had, they got too many games left against American League East teams uh, to think they, they're going to be a serious playoff team. But to at least be relevant and to maybe be good enough to be a spoiler. And they're going to get a lot of chances. They're going to be – the Yankees are probably already – who knows, mathematically, they may have already clinched the spot. But Toronto, Boston, Tampa, they're all going to be fighting for their life. And it would just be so much fun to go up and watch Baltimore uh, knock a couple of those teams out of the playoffs. There you go. Hey, let's talk about that. The Another good segue, talking about the schedule. Um, one thing you pointed out that will help the O's in future years is that – we're getting away from this, the unbalanced schedule that we've had the last few years where uh, teams uh, play 19 games each against their four division opponents, which means 76 games against the AL East for Baltimore. Um, and we keep talking about how that, that division outspends the rest of baseball by a lot um, and has four teams that are likely going to make the playoffs this year or very well could make the playoffs this year, uh, which will be the first time in Major League history something like that ever happened. Next year, we go away from that. Uh, a more balanced schedule. You only play 14 against those teams in your division. So instead of 76 against the AL East next year and future years, the O's play 56 against the AL East. That's 20 games that don't involve having to play the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays. That's got to be something for O's fans to hang their hats on. Well, you know, you think you, it, hopefully you get good enough that you, that you can go toe to toe with those teams. But but realistically, does who wants to see the? I mean, unless you're a Yankees fan, and the, and the old saying is about Yankees and Reds, especially Red Sox fans, not necessarily Yankees. The cheapest way to see the Red Sox play, if you're a Red Sox fan, is to go to Baltimore. <laughs> um, and that's that's probably true because the stadium only seats so many. They have most it's a lot of season tickets. Uh, day of game sales are hard to come by. So it is. It's an expensive ticket because you're usually picking them up on the secondary market, not through the Red Sox. Um, but I, I get tired of watching the Yankees, and, and maybe I guess it's just because we get to see them so much, like the Nats. You get to see the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies. Well, you know, I, I'm to the point now where the Orioles play the Yankees. I don't make a specific trip to go to Baltimore because mm -hmm. I don't care to see the Yankees that many times a year or the Red Sox for that matter. So I like the fact that they're only playing 14 times each against their division foes, but I don't like the fact that we're playing every team in the national league. It, it, maybe I'm just old school, but I really believe you're starting to water down the world series now, even yeah. more so. Uh, and I'm wondering why do we even have two Two, two leagues. Um, 
when's what when is the time come when the two best teams in baseball, if they happen to be in the same league, are going to end up playing each other in the World Series? Well, we don't have that in the other major sports, though. Uh, we have an Eastern Conference and Western Conference in basketball. Uh, you don't always have the best two teams playing there. And in football, you have NFC and AFC, which is pretty much what the AL and NL are now. Now that the DH is 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 universal, um, baseball is one sport. I mean, you know, until this year when the National League still had no DH, it was still it was still you know two two distinct leagues uh, that played interleague play and the different rules and that kind of thing. But I mean, when the NFC plays the AFC, they don't play with a you know, the, the goalposts aren't wider or, or, or narrower. They, you know, the field's still a hundred yards. I mean, so um, now that baseball has, you know, no, no, no issues, no qualms with the DH, everybody's playing by the same rules. I would, I wouldn't honestly, Scott, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have heard me say this 20 years ago. I'd be like, Hey, save the NL, preserve the leagues. I would prefer if we went to a more geographically based system, I'd love to see the Nats and O's in the same division. I'd love to see, you know, more uh, geographic rivalries like that. I think football would benefit from that. Why aren't the Cowboys and the Texans in the same division? Why aren't the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins in the same division? Why are, why are we sticking to these old, old ways? The National League and American League, as we knew them 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, they're not the same anymore. So that's fine. Um, I would love to see a game in September uh, in either Camden Yards or Nats Park where those two teams are playing and the winner, uh, you know, gets gets uh, a leg up in the wild card race or division race and a loser goes home sad because, you know, they got knocked back a peg in, in the race. Um, instead of just playing a couple games this week and a couple games in a month and that kind of thing. So anyway, you know, that, that's, that's a different rant than you were on. But uh, now, that the, now that the DH has a universal application, I think that we already are past the old days of baseball. Yeah, and I, you know, thinking, uh, thinking it out loud, thinking through that process out loud. Well, then at NBA, everybody plays everybody. Uh, yeah, at least the, once, the, the at least twice. Teams, yeah, they play twice. The, the other, the other conference, they play twice. In the NFL, you play. You rotate. You rotate your division. So you play four games against another division or whatever it is. And I still, God, you imagine the Ravens against now. Of course, the Ravens would own the Commanders twice a year. But you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech football. Even though Tech beats us in football all the time, at least they play every year. The, the commanders and the Ravens only play once every four years. That's not a rivalry. And they're what 50, 60 miles apart. I'd love to see. So I, I jumped in there, but I, I want to see more of that and less of these artificial things anyway. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I can't remember exactly, but I did read a story. And I think now that we're talking about uh, the different sports, NBA, NFL playing each NHL, everybody yeah. plays one another, but the, so this is essentially you're playing everybody in the other league at least one series. So that means there's going to be technically 45 interleague games a year, right? Because there's right, 15 yeah. teams, and if you, you're you going to play them, you're going to play them in at least a three-game series, I would assume, right? I would assume that too, right, right. So that's 45, and that's, that's 25% of your season. Yeah. So now does it make sense – if, if Major League Baseball really needs to redefine itself or rediscover itself to 
to do away with the different leagues. And then you could go to the divisions that make a lot of sense. Think of this, the Yankees, the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. The Orioles and the Nationals and the Phillies in one division. Well, the, and the, but then you got the Red Sox and the Red Sox. They wouldn't well, want the Yankees, the- Mets, um, Yankees, Mets. Yeah. Somebody's going to get laughed out. Well, Yankees, Mets, Red Sox, Nats, O's. Then you put Philadelphia, Pittsburgh in with maybe Cleveland, Cincinnati. That's Cleveland, four. Cincinnati. You know, maybe Philly, might, Philly fans are going to gripe a little bit, but if they think about it, hmm, maybe maybe not playing in a division with the Yankees and Red Sox. And Mets, because the Mets are spending and money the Mets, now. <laughs> the Mets have an owner that spends money, you know, just writes blank checks. Um, maybe maybe you and I don't. Too bad maybe, of a deal. Maybe you and I don't want that division because our two favorite teams are playing against the three biggest, three of the four biggest spenders in baseball. But yeah, I think the superpowers. But from a geographic standpoint, that would be incredible. And that then you incredible. take Tampa and you move Tampa down to a division. And here's the other thing about that too: if, if you, the more you think about this, the more it makes sense. If you go to a game, and I was at a game in Tampa this year. I was at the opening game. Of opening the game, yeah, yeah. Um, there were and, and now and the Orioles have been down, but that opening game, that stadium was one third Baltimore fans because they go down for spring training. They're already down yeah, there. They yeah, just yeah. went late, and they stayed down for the opening game. Um, and from what I understand, the Yankees and Red Sox take over that field, oh. and it's hard for them. The hard for the the Rays to to really get a firm grip. On, on getting a, their own fan base because there's so many retirees from the North, New York, Boston, Pennsylvania, that live down there. So now you're taking the Yankees out of the equation and you're not bringing the Yankees in as much. And the fans maybe start going to actually see the Rays play because if you drop Tampa down into the division with the Braves, Miami, the Marlins, yeah. um, um, Houston, who I don't know who else would be. Um, Maybe Texas would be the other one. You got Houston and Texas in the same one. Um, South the, Southeast Division or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think you're going to see some really big changes in in Major League Baseball. I mean, we've already seen them. The do the doing away with the designated hitter. Uh, from what I've been told, the pitch count is going to be coming to the American League. They were letting what they were doing uh, from from having discussion with the uh, scout from the Orioles, Quincy Boyd. It's they wanted it to get fully instilled into the minor league system, so those players they don't know any difference. Yes, and if you go to a minor league game, Chris, the rarity of a minor league game is going over two hours. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Those yeah. games, um, they're having problems. We we my, my wife and I go to a lot of games on Friday night because they have fireworks, <laughs> and it you know. Today's the longest day of the year. Um, you wouldn't have fireworks till about nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, the game starts at six thirty. People are sitting around for an hour waiting for <laughs> waiting for fireworks. Uh, so these games in the minor leagues are flying by because the pitchers aren't playing around, and if the hitters can't either, the hitters if the if the pitch count is uh, down to one or you know the pitcher's throwing the ball, if the hitter's still adjusting his gloves, it doesn't matter if the ball is eight foot high; it's a strike. Um, so the minor leagues have kind of tweaked this and, and it's starting to really ex, uh, expedite how a game is played. And from what I understand there, maybe another year, maybe another two before it's implemented in the American league. And by then most of the pitchers will be used to that pitch clock. 
and the D8s, both leagues now. Um, so we're, we really are getting some drastic changes in Major League Baseball. Here's a quick drastic change. I don't know what made me look at this. I was actually looking at attendance numbers, and the place I went to look for it, it and Tampa's 27th in attendance. There's actually three teams worse. Um, Oakland by far worse uh, with 8,500 a game. Um, but then when I clicked on that, it gave me a park factors column. And so I looked at park factors, and what park factors are, it gives you things like runs per game and home runs. So – uh, who do you think led what, – what park do you think led the league last year in home runs per game, Scott? Per game? Per game. Home runs per game last year. Uh, uh, both leagues? It, it, total, yeah. I'll let Major League Baseball in, in um, home runs per game. Camden Yards? And then what park do you think is now <laughs> – of course, I'm giving the answer away. What park is now 28th in the league in home runs per game? Camden Yards. <laughs> oh my God! Moving the fence back thirty feet dropped them we, from first to twenty eighth. Well, you not only moved the fence back thirty feet, but you also took it up. I took it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Took it up, and those Holy balls crap. that are hitting off the wall, yeah, would be twenty rows into the seats. Oh God! And how many? Yeah, how many fly ball outs are there now that were well into the seats last year? Yeah, uh, plenty. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, so the Orioles tipped their hat and, and this is a conversation I had with, with the, the scout Quincy boy. So they tipped their hat as to which way they're building their team. Yeah. Pretty much. You know, right? They're, 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 they're now saying this is going to become damn whatever the humidity says it is in the middle of July in Baltimore. This is going to become a more pitcher friendly ballpark uh-huh. um, because it was known as the launching pad Oh yeah, and it still is. But and I've and I've been two just two games in Camden Yards this year, and it's so unique or so different to hear that crack of the bat and the ball going to left field. And it, my first reaction is to just look up in the stands and see who catches it. <laughs> They're not getting to the stands now, <laughs> and and so it's it must be working. It must be uh, whatever they were trying to achieve. It must be uh, having some effect. So, yeah. So the Orioles are now gone from one of the Homer friendly ballparks in the America in the majors to one of the least friendly Homer ballparks. From first to twenty eighth, there's only thirty teams, so there's not much further to go. Thirty um, feet and thirty feet on the ground, and probably I think the wall is sixteen feet high. I've got yeah, yeah. That's that's a mini monster there, as far as that's that goes. A mini mini green monster, and. Um, um, soon to become orange, I've been told. That makes um, sense. Um, but so we talked about the Orioles. What, what has Juan Soto with the Nationals, and I know you're a huge Nationals fans. And I was reading a story. Actually, I picked up a paper sometime last week. Forgot where, but has maybe DC has Juan Soto. To become the pink elephant in the corner of the room with the Nationals as to what the Nationals really should do with Juan Soto as far as really going all out and trying to do whatever it takes to sign him or my lands. Can you imagine what he would fetch this year, having the rest of this year and next year under team control? Well, he's actually under team control for the next two years after this year. Two years. I mean, he is he is at his prime as far as being uh, trade material. 
Uh, yeah, if, if, you know, if you wanted to do that, or you could look at it and say, we got two more years of team control after this year. Um, but can they build a contender in, in two years? Uh, do, or, or can they do what the O's are doing and build a, um, enough around him to make him think that there's a contender coming again? He's only, he's still a young guy. You got to remember, he's only 23 right now. So at the end of two years, uh, he's 23, 245 days. So he'll be 26 when he comes to free agency. That's young. I mean, we, Manny Machado was 26. Harper, I think, was 26 or 27 when, when th- those two guys were free agents at the same time a couple years ago. Um, yeah, he's under under team control through the end of the 2024 season. So um, so his trade by his stock right now is at its highest. Uh, or, or it's so far out that you don't even worry about that. I, I think it, I think the latter is the case. You know, I mean, if unless you're unless you're just not going to sign him, then you trade him now. But if you're trying to sign him, you got two and a half years to do so. It's it's not until the offseason, November, December, January of 2024, 2025 that you have to worry about. Juan Soto's future. I mean, you want to sign him as soon as possible, but not everybody is Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, or uh, what's their second baseman's name there um, who just broke his ankle. The, the two guys who signed early for way below what could have been market value with the Braves, that is, um, before the security of that money. Uh, but I, I've got another Juan Soto thing for you, Scott. Uh, Juan Soto and what – so we're talking about how much money he's worth. We're talking about how much money a guy who's hitting 218 right now is worth. Um, and I watched the Nats just like you religiously watched the O's. And now the one thing that's deceptive is he still has 14 home runs and he's still walking an awful lot. Uh, his own base percentage is still 367. He's still slugging 440. So for a guy hitting 218, those aren't bad numbers. But um, uh, I, I wanted to figure out what the heck's going on because I saw this. I saw this once before with a Nats left-handed slugger who played right field. A guy named Bryce Harper had a really down season. I think it was the 2018 season, right before he became a free agent. And you know, I never, I didn't look at the Fangraphs numbers that year for for Harper when I was watching, just trying to figure out. But just from the eyes standpoint, Harper was just hitting ground balls into the shift. <laughs> they just kept shifting him and he'd try to pull everything and hit ground balls and, and, you know, make weak outs. And so I wanted to quantify with fan graphs, giving you all kinds of numbers behind the scenes. Is that what Juan's doing? And my eyes didn't tell me that's what he was doing. In fact, and, and, and it plays out uh, his pull percentage this year is 34.0%. That's pretty much his career average. So he's not, he's not rolling over pitches, hitting ground balls at second base into the shift. But I did find some things. And so, Scott, uh, you're a numbers geek. You ready to take some mental notes here as to what I found? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm thinking I was I was ahead of you. I was trying to think what you were going to give me. So go ahead. So here's one indication. A- average exit velocity. So I'm giving you some good stuff here. These, I mean, these do you have that? I do. Average exit let me, velocity. Let me see if I can just conjure a guest. I'm going to say somewhere between 105 and 110. 89.8, but his career high was an average exit velocity. Now, not like the, not the, not the high last year, his, his career average, his season average was 93.0. So that takes into account your weak ground ball to the pitcher and your 500 foot moonshot. Right. But his, his, his average, so his average is down from, from 93.0 to 89.8. So that's the first, so that tells you, yes, there's, there's something going on, 
um, his barrel rate, as it's called. And we all know if you're a baseball person listening almost an hour into a podcast, you, you don't need to be told what the barrel rate is. This year for him is 12.7%. Uh, he, he was at 17.5% in 2020 when he won the batting title. That's he's down about 5% on his barrel rate, his soft, his soft percentage. Um, and this is, uh, uh, you know, indication of balls put into play that are uh, judged to be soft 23.4%. That's way up. He was at 15.9% last year. He's almost up 8% of his balls put into play being soft, soft hits. His line drive percentage was 18.6% last year. It's 12.2% this year. So he's hitting a lot a lot less line drives, a lot more fly balls. I didn't write these numbers down, but his fly ball percentage was up about seven points as well. So um, I, I talked about his pull percentage being about career average. Here's where it broke down, Scott. Here, So those things are telling you what he's doing. He's not hitting as many line drives. He's hitting more soft balls. He's not hitting as many hard hit balls, less barrels. Here's where it is. He's less selective. 15.1% uh, of his, his swings last year were at pitches outside the strike zone. This year, it's 21.3%. He's up 6.2%. And, and, and even more of an issue, he's making more contacts on those swings on pitches outside the zone. He's up nearly 10%. 72.4% of the swings on pitches out of the zone are making contact. He's up almost 10% from last year. So he's swinging at more bad pitches, and he's putting more of them into play. Which is which is the objective of the pitcher, right? Exactly, yeah. So the barrel rate, if I'm mistaken, the barrel rate, to get a barrel rate, you have to have a certain exit velocity. Oh, yeah. Right? It's over 95 miles per hour. Okay, over 95 miles. So maybe – so I'm not, I'm not trying to be – put my psychology hat on psychiatrist hat on do you think he's less selective because a lot of games and that's are getting blown out well I'll, I'll get in let me give you one more set of numbers batting average on balls in play the famous BABIP for those of us who look at these things 332 last year 363 in 2020 213 this year so that was what stat uh batting average on balls in play okay on balls in play yeah so he's hitting a full 120 points below last year, 150 points below two years ago on batting average and balls in play. So because I, I heard one of the uh, Nats uh, broadcast TV broadcast team say the other day, his expected batting average. And, and in fact, it is uh, 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 fan graphs does give his expected batting average. He's hitting 218 right now and his expected batting average will be 278. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if I buy into that. Uh, and, and here's what I think it is. I, I don't think it's the we're getting blown out, so he's not taking a bat seriously. I think this uh, is is related to Dave Martinez trying at the beginning of the season. They tried this for several weeks. They put Soto at the number two spot in the lineup, thinking being, hey, we'll move him up a spot that gives you more at-bats over the course of a season. You even see some teams put their best hitter number one, even if he's a power hitter. Um, and But they put him in the number two spot. Um, there was a time he's, he's got 11 homers and or 14 homers and 31 RBIs, but he, there was one stretch where he had like seven home runs and eight RBIs. There was basically nobody on base in front of him. Anytime he hit a home runs, a solo shot. Um, and he's getting walked. He was getting walked a lot, you know, because if, Hey, if, if nobody's on base, if there's already one or two outs in any, just put one on first base and let the guys behind him do some damage. Um, I think he started pressing because he was hitting in that two spot, wasn't accustomed to it, not having guys on base, not a chance to you know affect the game with an RBI. And um, he started swinging at more bad pitches. 
Now, here's another number. This, this number doesn't come from Vangrass. I had to do the work on this one myself. His base on balls to plate appearance ratio, he's at 18.3% this year. Um, and it was at 22.2% last year. So he's walking slightly less. He's swinging at more bad pitches. He's putting more of those bad pitches in play. That's going to affect your batting average. He's still, he's still got the power. When he squares one up, it's going out of the park but he's just not squaring as many up because he's swinging at more bad pitches. Um, you asked the question before we went on the air, Scott, is it because he doesn't have protection? And actually, Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz are, are, are protecting him pretty well. Bell's got 11 homers. He's, his slash numbers are 294, 378, 476. Cruz's season numbers don't sound as good as they could. They're 250, 333, 381. He was hitting about 110 around May 15th. He's been doing pretty he's, – he's been a solid hitter since then. Um I think it's as simple as uh, the, maybe maybe the talk about contract stuff, like you talked about a few minutes ago, Scott. Maybe the talk about, hey, uh, you know, you need to do more to you know help this team win. He's trying a little harder, and it's just not working out. Yeah, I mean, there is. I mean, these are professionals, but there is pressure. Some 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 players handle it a little better than others, you know, until they figure out exactly maybe what they need to do to handle that pressure. But so. You talked about Bell and Cruz. Uh-huh. So neither one of those guys are going to, I mean, they're playing, they're hitting, they're having, to, they're playing their way out of DC, rightfully so. They're going to be, both of those guys will be traded. Yes. I, I would assume. No doubt. no doubt. No doubt. So if you're the Nationals, so we're talking about putting a formidable team around Soto in hopes of maybe convincing him that this isn't going to be a five year rebuild like the Orioles are going through. Do you trade for all? Do you trade for players that are already major league, or do you trade for prospects? I trade for, for a combination of the two. I think I trade for guys who are maybe either the the can't miss guys, or at least I go for this. The can't miss guys. Um, who maybe aren't in the big leagues yet, or somebody who's got a year or two of service time that you can you can say will be around in four or five years because you're looking three, four, five years down the road if you're if you're building the team around Soto. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's where you go. I don't think you you trade for a double A guy even if he's a can't miss guy because you need I mean you need guys who can be there next year um because next year is year one of the two years that you have soto under team control left that is 2023 and 2024 um you can't you can't wait for guys to be ready to contribute in 2025 or 2026 they got to be ready to contribute in 2023 maybe you know at least do something in 2023 and then be good contributors in 2024 um and so you know when i look at bell and Cruz as examples i mean they're both gone there's no question about it the best thing they're doing for the nats is playing well right now hitting well right now um but bell's going to fetch more bell is still i think 29 or 30 years old uh he's at the end of his team control this year um he's been an all-star in the past he's putting up borderline all-star numbers right now um i think he's a guy that uh will will get you some something good in terms of a prospect nelson cruz is about 100 years old and i'm not quite sure that uh, he's going to give you something. He might give you more of a double A or, or, or you know, high high A prospect who who may pan out for you. But um, in any way, you, you flip him around and, and see what you can do there. It looks like I've lost Scott, um, and so perhaps uh, we're an hour into this podcast. It may be that his his uh, 
his computer juice ran out. So I will filibuster for just a second and see if I hear from him. And then we may, we were getting close to being wrapped up anyway. So I may go ahead and wrap this up for us. Yeah, I think that's a fair discussion. That was, but a good, good talk there. We talked some Nats, we talked some O's. Scott and the Green Monster Adventure seemed like a fun thing. So um, for our listeners out there, uh, go to AugustaFreePress.com. You can read Scott's recent column, lots of detail that we didn't necessarily get into, all the detail that he wrote about kind of assessing where the O's are in their rebuild. You can also go and get those stats that I was kind of reading out there on the uh, on the Juan Soto numbers and get a get a kind of a good look for yourself. They're also linked to the Fangraphs page for Juan Soto, so you can kind of look at those yourself, maybe even find some other things. If you find something that I missed, feel free to point it out. Uh, email me at AugustaFreePress2 at gmail.com with any questions, comments, things you want us to address in a future podcast. I am on Twitter at, at NotChrisGram1. I'd love to hear from you there. Um, and, uh, well, I think that might cover us for the day. Thanks to Scott German for his time. Thanks to you to, for your time listening. Really appreciate uh, our listener base out there. And for everyone, have a great day.